This message is brought to you by Moira Pentecostal Church. We hope that it will encourage, challenge, and develop you into the person God has made you to be. Get into the Word of God this morning then. And I want you to come with me to 1 John chapter 4. First Epistle of John, chapter 4. And just one verse. Verse 4. So First John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The 12th of August, 2000, the pride of Russia's northern naval fleet, a nuclear submarine called the Kursk, just 80 miles off the coast of Denmark, an aberrant sea ended up through a catastrophic accident stricken 300 feet of water. Now this ship was thought to be invincible, unsinkable, bristling full of the latest technology and weaponry. But due to human error, a fire had broken out in the torpedo room uh, in this particular training exercise. And it very, very quickly caused an explosion and all of the seamen in that room died instantly. Uh, the heat was something almost 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And in fact, another explosion occurred shortly after that, the result being that, that most of the 118 crew and officers uh, died very quickly through either fire or drowning. Some 24 who were in a, another compartment uh, managed for a time to escape, or at least uh, were safe for a time. But because of Russian secrecy, and because they would not allow international observers who were watching this to come and help them with specialized equipment, uh, they did nothing for about five days. In fact, President Putin, the current president at that time, was just in his first term of presidency and was in summer holidays in Sochi with a uh, winter games are right now, and uh, he didn't turn up for about four or five days. And by this time, another fire had broken out in that compartment and took all the air out and the oxygen, and the result was that all 118 uh, crewmen and officers died. Now, a submarine uh, has two hulls. It has an outer hull and an inner hull. And there's a cavity between those two hulls. And they hold ballast tanks. And in those ballast tanks, you can either put water or you can put air or a mixture of water and air. There are three levels of buoyancy in a submarine. There's positive buoyancy. And that means that it can float on the surface. And then there's negative buoyancy, which means then it can sink safely underneath the surface. And then there's neutral buoyancy, which means then it can sink to any level it so desires and it can operate at that level for a long period of time. Now, 
When the ballast tanks are filled, deliberately filled with air, compressed air, then that's positive buoyancy. Uh, and because at that moment the density of the submarine is lighter than the density of the water that's displacing, then it can float. Simple as that. If it's filled with water, those ballast tanks, uh, then the density of the sub becomes heavier than the density of the water that's sitting in, and it sinks. If it's a mixture of water and air, then it can go to whatever level, and they can adjust that level, and it can sit at that level, or move at that level, whatever they so desire. Special valves are in the sub, uh, both to allow air to come in, or water to go out, or water to come in and air to go out, uh, so that the whole sub uh, can operate. Now, because the sea puts immense pressure on the hull, they have to be very, very careful about the pressure inside so that the pressure inside is as good as or greater than the pressure that's outside because otherwise a submarine could just be scrunched up like a tin can. So they've got to be careful. In the case of the Kursk, when those torpedoes blew, it just ripped a great hole in the side of the submarine and of course then all the pressure was gone. The water came in and uh, they were drowned. And so the spiritual analogy is this. Life is full of pressures. Pressures come against us from the outside continually. All kinds of pressures happen to us in life. And so we have got to make sure that there is a greater power inside us to withstand the pressures that come from the outside of us. The power on the inside needs to be greater than the pressures on the outside. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And there is something that is within us that's greater than it is around us or outside of us. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13, in the Amplified Version, says this, Not that I am implying that I was in any personal want. This is Paul speaking. For I have learned how to be content, how to be satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or disquieted in whatever state I am. I know how to be abased and live humbly in straitened circumstances. I know also how to enjoy plenty and live in abundance. I have learned in any and all circumstances the secret of facing every situation, whether well-fed or going hungry, having a sufficiency and enough to spare or going without and being in want. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. And then in Ephesians 3.16, again, the Amplified. May he grant you out of the rich treasury of his glory to be strengthened and reinforced with mighty power in the inner man by the Holy Spirit himself, indwelling your innermost being and personality. In other words, God has put within us a power, his power, so that you can withstand the pressures of life that want to overwhelm you. How many of us over the years suddenly has had to face something that normally it would be so difficult, it would be so hard to get through, but 
because of the power of the Holy Spirit that is within us, we're able to rise to the occasion. We're able to stand and be sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. The disciples for six weeks or so were on a spiritual roller coaster. They'd seen their Lord crucified and all of their hopes and dreams were shattered, were buried in that grave with him. In those last days of Jesus' life around his trial and crucifixion, in those days it marked and it marred their lives. We find that they were distressed. They deserted the Lord, even denied that they ever knew him. Fear gripped their hearts. Would they be next for the same punishment? And then came the resurrection. At first they were doubtful, perhaps a little cynical, because it was the woman told them first, what do they know? These are the disciples. And so there's a little bit of doubt and cynicism. But then they began to believe, particularly when he appeared in that room in front of them, when he came right through the walls and stood there. And so after 40 days of him coming and going and appearing and disappearing, After 40 days on the Mount of Olives, there was Christ's ascension when they stood and they watched as he went back up to be beside the Father. Then there came that period of 10 days. They were shut up in that upper room. Jesus had left them on their own again. So for these men and women to change their world, they would need to possess a power that they did not possess. Something was going to have to happen to them that had never happened to them before. They had seen Christ for three years. They had walked with Him. They had talked with Him. They saw Him resurrected. They saw Him ascended. But now they're on their own. And they're behind closed doors in Jerusalem in an upper room waiting for the promise of the Father. Something was going to have to happen to them. Jesus would no longer be with them in the flesh. Now he told them this would happen, but they didn't understand. In fact, he told them that it would be to their advantage that he would go away and that he'd no longer be with them in the flesh. But that just made them sad. In fact, in John chapter 16... See that conversation that Jesus had with them in John 16, verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I have still many things to say to you, 
but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said, he will take of mine and he will declare it unto you. In fact, in chapter 14, just back a little bit in verse 25, he says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Then he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the word gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have, heard of me, you have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said, I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he is nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. And so Jesus told him that when he would go, the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, one just like him, would come in his place. And that also he wouldn't just be with them, but he would be in them. And so in Acts 1 and 8, again in the Amplified, he said to them just before he left, he says, but you shall receive power. Ability, efficiency, and might, that means. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends, to the very bounds of the earth. But you shall receive power, ability, efficiency, and might. The word is dunamis, or dunamis, whatever way you want to pronounce that, which is where we get words like dynamo and dynamic, and even dynamite from. This is not natural ability. This is God-given. This is when God endows us with His power. And we need His power, His dunamis. We need this to overcome the world and the flesh and the devil. We need to overcome all of the pressures of life that come upon us. We need a greater power in us. Paul says we do not fight against flesh and blood, against human beings, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so there are powers that come against us. You say, has got the devil, has he got power? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely he does. Let me show that to you in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of 
the enemy, dunamis, same word, over all the dunamis, the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Behold, I give you the authority, the trample and serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Behold, I give you authority, exousia, delegated authority, the right, the legal right to us given by God over the power, the dunamis of the devil. So in other words, God has given us the right over the devil's might. He has given us authority over the devil's ability. Amen? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so even though the evil one may come against us, and he surely will, but there's a power resident in us that's greater than him. There's an authority over his ability. (laughs) There's a right we have that's even greater than his might. And that's in the name of Jesus. And it's in the power of the Holy Spirit. As believers, we have a ministry of life. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Paul said, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of, think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. God has made us, let me rephrase that, God has made you ministers of the new covenant. You see, whenever, in this day and age, when we think in religious terms of ministers, you're thinking of a reverend, aren't you? But Paul says every one of us are ministers. The word is diakonos, which is where we get the word deacon from, which means servant. So we are servants. We minister. Now, someone who, a minister is someone who administers. A doctor administers medicine. Not right? A school teacher administers knowledge, education, instruction. A counselor administers advice. We administer life. (laughs) We administer life. We are ministers of the very life of God himself. You should be saying amen at that. Every single one of us, not just somebody who stands behind a pulpit, but every single believer is a minister of the life of God. That's what we administer whether that's your workplace or your school place or your university or wherever that may be, you have life in you. Philippians 2.16, Paul says, holding forth the word of life. When you share Christ with somebody, 
Life is coming out to you towards that person. The life of God that's in you. The power of the Holy Spirit enabling you. And this is the wonderful thing. Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power, the dunamis, same word, of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel is also the power of God, the dunamis of God to everyone who believes. And that's what we're to share, isn't it? In all that that entails. And we get to minister that everywhere we go. We can get to minister that in all kinds of circumstances. I can preach to a number of people in here and perhaps on a DVD or whatever the case may be. I cannot go into your workplace and do that. I can't walk into your classroom and do that. But you're there. You're right there. With the same gospel. With the same message. With the same grace. With the same mercy of God. With the same gospel of the power of God. And that can change a life for eternity. No one else on earth has got that power except the believer. Isn't that wonderful? It's unique. Think of all the human beings in the face of the earth. Believers are the only one that God has endowed with that power. The dunamis. The dunamis of God. And we get to minister that. Of course, the gospel saves men and women, doesn't it? Saving, redeeming, cleansing act of God's grace. It's wonderful. But it really is basically the result of some elements, a few elements. It requires faith and repentance on our part, doesn't it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but everlasting life. It requires faith, doesn't it? It requires repentance. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So it requires repentance and faith on our part, but it requires grace and mercy on God's part. For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that none of us can boast. Hebrews 4 and 16 tells us that we can come before the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help in time of need. But the actual act of salvation, the act of being born again, that moment. When you are born again, it is the coalescing. It is the coming together of two things, the Spirit and the Word. And when the Spirit and the Word comes together in our lives, something happens. Something happens. John 3, 5 and 8, it talks there, and you know that portion of Scripture so well, it talks about being born of the Spirit. The wind blows where it wants to. You don't know where it's coming, where it's going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. There's something mystical, supernatural, 
invisible happens in our souls in that moment when the Spirit comes and takes over. 1 Peter 1.23 Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Ah, the Spirit and the Word working together. James 1.18 Of His own will He brought us forth by the Word of truth that we might be the kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Ephesians 5, famous verse, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So these two mighty powerful things are working in your favor and working in your life. The power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God. And that's what helps us in the pressures of life that are all around us. When you've got the Spirit in you and you've got the Word of God in you and that's why we keep talking about these things. Because we need that in the world that we live in. So you have the Holy Spirit, you have the seed of the imperishable, incorruptible Word of God. Now, seed has within itself the life principle, doesn't it? The seed can reproduce. The seed can give a harvest. The seed can bring forth fruit. And when the Word of God is in your life, it will produce a harvest of good things. It will produce something. It can reproduce the life of God in us, the likeness of Christ in us, all of these things. It's so important to read and to know and to have the Word of God in your heart. Now we can read it and we can know it and we can sing it and we can preach it and we can study it and we can do all of those things but not live it. And then we just become hearers, not doers. You know, it's possible to preach sermons week after week after week after week after week. It's possible to do all of that and not live it. Isn't it? You can craft it. You can put it together. And if somebody has great oratorial skills, some are better than others, no doubt about that. You know, and he can do all of that and yet not live it. And so that's why the Bible admonishes us to be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving our own selves. But all of that is there for us. The word of God gives us power over sin, which is a wonderful thing. In 1 John chapter 3, actually, Verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. In him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Now, you have to understand here that John is not talking about all of us can and do from time to time sin. He's not talking about sinless perfection here. He's talking about making that sin a lifestyle continuing in a particular sin or sins. 
That's what he's talking about. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, does not practice sin, does not continually sin. Our propensity is not to keep in sin. Sure it's not. Our propensity is to live in righteousness. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin. He cannot continue to sin, because he has been born of God. If we continually live in certain sins, we've got to say to ourselves, what's gone wrong here? What has gone wrong here? We've got to question our lives, and we've got to put it right. And this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Word of God gives us power over sin. The Word of God helps us to grow. Gives us power to grow. Matthew 4, 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, like our food. We all like we all like different foods, that's for sure. We all like different amounts of food. That's true, isn't it? But we do like it every day. We like it regularly, don't we? And if we don't get it regularly, we get a bit grumpy. Hmm? Some of you, if you haven't had your coffee for a couple of hours, you get really grumpy. And so we know intuitively that we need food to live. And we usually have it every day. And you know how important that is to you when you go to fast. And you don't have it every day. And how much that is part of your everyday life. You'll only know that if you go to fast. Then suddenly you realize how much every day is consumed by the thought of food. (laughs) I can guarantee if you fast... Somebody will invite you out for a big meal. Or you'll visit your mother's and she'll put the pan on. My mother used to do that with me all the time. She had a kind of a radar. If I was fasting, go to visit her house. The pan was on you to smell it coming up the street. Not a good thing if you're not eating. What's that noise over there? That's a radiator, isn't it? That's okay. As long as I know what it is, I'm okay. If the noise is happening, I don't know what it is, then I got a wee bit... Man shall not live by bread alone, by natural food, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When this becomes as important to you as the food on your dinner table, is it? Do you eat this every day? Do you chew on it? Do you meditate on it? Is it a part of your daily life? It ought to be. Because this is what's going to feed your spirit man. 
This is what's going to build up your inner man. So make this a part of your spiritual diet continually. Peter said, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. There's little baby Emily, and she is on the milk. And there will come a time little baby Emily will no longer be on the milk, but will be on solid food. Kind of squishy stuff probably to start with. You get in the wee bottle in Tesco. And then you go from that to solid food, don't you? And it's the same. This is why uh, Trevor earlier was talking about that ministry he talked about so that you're able to, to digest what you're eating and chop it up. If your wife set a big steak down beside you, you wouldn't stick the fork in the whole big steak and stuff it down your throat. Sure you wouldn't. You'd cut it into wee bite-sized pieces and you would chew on it. And this is what we've got to do with the Word of God. Hebrews 5. The writer there is talking about the church he was addressing. And he said, listen, by this time, you should be beyond certain things. It ought to be, you ought to know it and have moved on and add to that. He said, you should be at the meat, but you're still in the milk. There's certain fundamental things, he said, by this time you should know and should have moved on to other things and built up your most holy faith. So feed on the word of God. Meditate on it. Joshua said, this Book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night and do according to what is written therein. Then you shall make your way prosperous. Then you shall have good success. If that applies in the Old Testament, how much more does it apply to the New Testament saints today? I like Psalm 1. We're almost finished here. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He chews the cud. <laughs> Would be a good translation. He chews the cud. You know that a cow chews the cud, doesn't it? It gobbles it up, and then later, I'm sorry to have to say this near lunchtime, it brings it up and chews it. And so we read the Word of God, we gobble it up, then we begin to chew on it, meditate on it, break it up, ask the question, why? Why did he say that? Why did he write that? What's he trying to get at? Who's he getting at? What's this for me? Why? Why is this applying to my life? you start to meditate and chew on these things, then the word becomes much more meaningful to you. It becomes personal to you. Then it's not just listening to the preacher on Sunday, good as that is. We ought to do that. But it's 
you digging out for yourself, you chewing on the word of God. And then the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart and apply it to your life. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. So in spite of all the pressures of life that want to crush us, we have the Spirit of God and we have the Word of God inside us that's greater than anything that's outside of us. Greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. And so today I say to you, whatever you're facing today, you have the Spirit and you have the Word, and that's greater than what you're facing today. And that will get you through, and that will take you over, and that will cause you to win the battles of life. Amen? Thank you for listening to this message. For more teaching resources, visit www.mpc.org.uk.